Good morning. How are you doing, men? It's great to be with you today. If you don't recognize me, my name's Jason Park. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Everyman, and I get to stand in for Pastor Kenny as he is out literally doing the Lord's work. But as usual, he connects with me, tells me he's praying for you, and he's thinking about you. Um, but I'm just, I'm happy to be here today as we continue on in our study titled Crazy Asks. I have to take particular time to emphasize the K in there because what we've been saying over the last five weeks is when we decide to have a relationship with God, there are going to be times when he's going to make crazy asks of us. He's going to ask us to do things that are challenging. He's going to ask us to do things that contradict what our feelings are telling us. He's going to ask us to do things that contradict what the world is telling us and have to put aside our prideful ways and allow ourselves to experience that challenge. And during this study, we have found ourselves in such a, such a unique parts of the Bible, in areas perhaps maybe you haven't been to in a while, or perhaps you have, maybe you've never been to. Last week we were in Ezekiel, and the week before that we were talking about Naaman, and the week before that we we're talking about Jephthah, names that don't necessarily, you know, cause memories to stir up because they're just subtle stories, but they're important stories. And, and this week we find ourselves uh, in the book of Esther and just kind of a little full transparency. I was, I was excited when Pastor Kenny asked me that, that I would teach this week and I knew it was week five and I knew we'd be diving into a part of the Bible we haven't been in a while. And I asked him, where are we going, man? And he says, Esther. And I was like, Esther? But man, Esther came through for me this week. And what a great reminder that all of God's word are words that are breathed out by God. And I pray that today, wherever you are at, wherever you are at right now, whatever position you are in in life, that today's words will speak to you. And, and when I say the position that you are in, we'll come back to that and that'll make some sense to you. We will start in the third chapter of Esther, but first just a little historical context for you. Esther is named after a young Jewish girl. She does not enter into the story right away, but the story starts where King Xerxes, he's the king of Persia, and throughout the book, there's lots of festivals. And at the beginning of uh, chapter one, there's a festival where King Xerxes wants to show off his beautiful wife, Queen Vashti. And he asks her to be brought in to the company of all the people that are there so he can show off his beautiful wife. Well, Queen Vashti refuses to do that. And it makes the, mad, the king very mad, so much so that he connects with the other government officials about her refusing to do what the king has advised. And it's such a to-do because their concern is, hey, man, if the queen isn't going to do what the king says, how are the people going to see this as an example? And is this going to run into problems for wives not wanting to do what their husbands want them to do? So significant that Queen Vashti, is her queen status is removed. So naturally, the king needs a queen. So he throws in chapter two this elaborate beauty contest and enter Esther. Esther um, is the uh, brought up by a man named Mordecai. It's, we're led to believe that you know he's her father, but when actually, in, in reality, she is the daughter of Mordecai's uncle. And he raises her because she doesn't have parents. And Mordecai enters her into this beauty contest, 
even though that she's Jewish and they have to hide her ethnicity and she ends up winning this beauty contest and she becomes queen. She becomes Queen Esther. And here's where we'll start the story here in Esther 3, chapter 1. It reads, After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel or pay him honor. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So in the previous chapter, two amazing things happened to this family, this family consisting of Mordecai, who raised Esther. The first part of that chapter is, is Esther is made queen. And what I didn't mention is towards the end of chapter two is Mordecai is at the king's gate like he finds himself in many parts of this entire book. And he observes and hears that there are two men that are going to carry out a plot to kill the king. He passes that information through Esther up to the king and foils this plot of murder. So a great time of celebration in the lives of Mordecai and Esther. And that's why it reads after these events. And there is this subtle, this, this, significant change that happens almost immediately where King Xerxes is going to raise up this man, Haman. And as he's ushering through the gate, everybody starts to take a kneel. But for whatever reason, Mordecai does not. We are led to believe that Mordecai is a faithful man of God and he kneels before God. He doesn't kneel before men. And this makes Haman very, very angry. And just based on his lineage already, and we could know that he doesn't have a whole lot of love for the Jews as it is. So enter adversity, right? Your first fill in here, and hopefully you're using the notes that you've downloaded from the Facebook page or the Everyman website, but you can use those to follow along. The first fill in here is it admits these things, even following awesome things in their lives, adversity happens. It happens. Even if you don't want it to happen, the only guarantee about adversity is it's coming. Earlier in the year, in Everyman, we had a, a study, and it was titled, Whatever Happens. And it was kind of founded on the Philippians. One passage that says, whatever happens, conduct your lives in a worthy manner. But adversity happens just like whatever happens. You can put a variety of things in that blank with regards to something happening. But regardless of what you call it, it happens. It happens and it's important for us to know that it happens and especially in this story and much like times in our lives, it happens when it's least expected. It happens at times when things are going great. Secondly, your next villain here is adversity. It creates an opportunity for maturity. Adversity happens and adversity creates an opportunity for maturity. Now, if you've been around long enough, we've come to understand and appreciate that maturity, that process can be a little bit complicated. It can be a little bit difficult, right? Uh, when I was in high school, in chapel, we learned a song, and the song was called Refiner's Fire. 
And the lyrics in Refiner's Fire, the chorus reads, Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, my master, willing to do your work. The Refiner's Fire is a difficult place to be. Last week in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was advised, he was given this, this image of putting something in a pot with very, very significant amounts of heat. And that refiner's fire in that process was designed to burn off impurities. And that's what that refiner's fire does. That's what that maturity process does. But we have to be willing to accept that reality. We have to be willing to accept and, and, and expect it to be coming our way. Because like I said, it happens. James 1.12 reads, Anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons, loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. The writer of the book of James is saying that we need to be willing to meet the challenges head-on. We need to be willing to, to understand that they're coming our way, and we need to understand that it's in those process that we become mature. And yes, that maturity process, it gets hot in the refiner's fire, right? Just like last week, the story of that, that pot getting hotter and hotter and, and, and the people being refined and the impurities to be burnt off. But that maturity process gives us an opportunity to grow. But that growth process is challenging. But you have to see, we have to see where that growth process takes us. Romans 5, 3 through 4 reads, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. When you look at that passage, the one word that jumps off the page is hope. And we say, I want that. I want hope. When we are facing challenges in our life, we, we pray for hope. But when you backtrack this and you reverse engineer how you get hope is you get hope through perseverance. You can't have perseverance until you persevere and you don't get perseverance until you have character. And how do you get character? We have to suffer. We have to realize that adversity is coming and realize that this is a process that God has in place for us, for us to grow. Last week, if you were following along, we had to experience some type of reset from the notes of last week. And then third, in addition to adversity happening, it being an opportunity for maturity, adversity does not change God's sovereignty. Adversity does not change God's sovereignty. He still is the creator of the universe. He still is the alpha and the omega. He still is there at the beginning of the story and he will be there at the end of the story and the everlasting components of, of the way our story will go and how easy it is for us to celebrate God's sovereignty when times are good and praise God when times are good. And then when times are challenging, we question God's sovereignty. And in some cases, it's so significant that we, we question his presence, that he ushered us along into the place that we are standing. And here we are being frustrated where, with where he has brought us. And I bring you back to my saying when we first started about the place that you are at right now. Perhaps you are in a place right now where you are facing adversity 
and you're standing in a place and you're questioning why God is there and has put you there. And perhaps maybe you're questioning, is he even there with you? But we need to be reminded that, that God is still sovereign. Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says, For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is the potter. We are the clay. As, as frustrating as it might be, as we're in that, that challenging process where we're being molded, he is in control and he is sovereign. Well, that brings us to the crazy ask of Esther in our story as we move forward into the fourth chapter of Esther, beginning at verse 5. So Haman is frustrated with Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't kneel before him. Haman goes to the king and he says, I'm going to give you a bunch of money. Would you please allow me to kill all the Jewish people? And the king's on board. The king even goes so far to give him his signet ring, his stamp of authority to create whatever law he needs to create, and he can put the king's name on it. And Mordecai finds out about this and he is, he is devastated. And this is Esther reaching out to Mordecai to, to see what's going on. It says, then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for this destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain to her, and he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Mordecai gave a big ask to Esther. First of all, he tells her, you are in a position now where you can go have a conversation with the king. You are the queen and you need to go in there and have a conversation to save the Jewish people. Secondly, this was a massive risk for her. This was a massive risk for her because it had been kept a secret that she was Jewish up to that point. And that was the only way that she would have been able to win this beauty contest and become queen. So she was asked to use the position, the place where she's standing, where she had been brought to. Secondly, she was going to have to sacrifice herself potentially because she was Jewish. And third, that last underlying phrase, he says, go into the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. He's reminding Esther of her identity. He's reminding of, of her of who she is. This was a very powerful moment. I would imagine her being queen, she had begun to second guess what her identity is, and Mordecai brings her back to reality. In the ask, in the ask, it's so important for us to be reminded of our identity, to be reminded of who we are. When you understand who you are, it makes it so much easier to know what to do. We've had moments in our life, perhaps it was that moment when, you know, your father was reminding you of who you were, who you are, and he reminded you of that, and, and you're being reminded of who you are made it easier for what 
you are supposed to do. And he reminded her of that. Regardless of it being a challenge for her and a risk for her, it was part of her identity. It was part of her identity that she used the place where she was standing. Well, Esther, regardless of her being reminded of that, regardless of her being reminded of what her identity is, her response is a little bit different. So we continue on in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Esther. She says, All the king's officials and people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends a gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called into the king. So regardless of the sovereignty and the providence of God that's worked in her life, she finds herself in this position as queen, and now she's going to use the rules that are around her to, to protect herself. She's going she's to take this, this defensive process, this defensive position. Mordecai's saying, I, you need to use your position for this very time to protect your people. And she's saying, hey, the position that I am, you know, the rules say I'm not allowed to go into him, right? It, the rules say that, that, I can't, uh, that I can't go in and speak to the king like you say. That would contradict the world's rules. Well, in God's rules, there's times when we have to, have to contradict what, what the world's rules are. And this is the challenge that she was going through. This was, this was the challenge because she was listening to two different voices, or she wanted to hear two different voices. And your next fill-in here is referring to what I'm talking about. Because this is not what she wanted to hear. You see, there's what, what you want to hear, and there's what you need to hear. Your next fill-in is what you need to hear. You understand the difference. We love to surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want to hear, right? Jesus frustrated people time and time again because they ran to him in public and they put him in a position to affirm them, to tell them what they wanted to hear. And Jesus didn't do that. He told them what they, what they needed to hear. They come and they offer their, their outward expression and their outward perspective. And Jesus looks beyond that and looks into their heart. He tells them what they needed to hear. And that was tough for people to say so much so that that was enough for them to not be willing to follow. So there's what she needed to hear, right? And there's, then there's what, what she wanted to hear. And it was all about her being told what she needed to hear. Secondly, she was thinking about herself. She was thinking about how this situation is going to complicate my life. Well, your next feeling here is just, it's not about yourself. It's about denying yourself. She was looking purely from a selfish perspective and what it meant to her. And so much so that clouded out what it meant to everybody else. It wasn't about her. It was about herself denying herself. A scripture that is mentioned a lot on the Everyman ministry sites. And, and lots of the studies is this concept of denying ourselves. And there's two times in scripture where Jesus says you deny yourself and take up your cross. Pastor Kenny referenced the other one. I'm referencing the one in Matthew. And it happens to be one I appreciate just a little bit more. And it says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it will find it. 
Jesus is saying, you want to have life, you have to, to let go of the life that the world says you're supposed to have. That's when you really find your life. And for Esther in this moment, it wasn't about her. It was about denying who she was. And then third is this idea of it not being what we want to hear, that it's about what we need to hear, that it's not about ourselves, it's about denying ourselves, is third, it's about the temporary versus the eternal. The temporary versus the eternal. Esther was thinking in a purely temporary type of moment. What does this moment mean to me? And Mordecai's reminding her, it's more than just you. That you need to deny yourself. You need to be willing to, to take that risk. And his response is a little bit of a reality check as we move into Esther 4, verse 12. It reminded me that the, your notes, it says bolded reality check. And there's, there's a, a thing um, in, the, in the first responder community. Um, and, when, and when I do something, let's say, out of character, and one of my partners has to come and give me a reality check, you know what we call that? Is they come check me right? They give me a reality check and they need to kind of speak truth into me because I'm not necessarily performing at the level that my partners need them perform. And, and he gives her this reality check in Esther 4.12. says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back his answer. Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you are alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. If you have your notes, I want you to circle that. That phrase that Mordecai is speaking into her and he's telling her, don't you think there's a possibility that you are standing in the place that you're standing? This scripture is speaking to people that are listening right now. Don't you think that you are standing in the place that you're standing because God wants you to be standing there? That he wants you to be standing there for such a time as this. He's telling her, look back at your life. You didn't have parents. You had to be raised by another family member. You're entered into a beauty contest, a beauty contest that doesn't allow people of your ethnicity, and you win the beauty contest, and now you are king. Don't you think all these providential things that occurred for such a time as this? You see, Mordecai sees it. Mordecai's warning her that she's, that she's not to be neutral. She wants to stick back. She wants to abide by the rules of her time and say, I can't go and speak to the king until I'm called. Otherwise, I may die. He's saying, you can't be neutral. You have to meet this situation head on. I reference a passage from James at the beginning of our study in James 1.12 that reads, anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. As we said, adversity happens, right? We said there's, we have to expect that. And there's a process for us to, to mature in that and to experience God's sovereignty. He's telling you, you can't be neutral. There's a difference between being neutral and standing and, and challenging something head on. The man who is neutral, 
to use a sports analogy that is quite famous, even though that's 24 years later. The man who is neutral is much like Brian Bosworth 24 years ago, standing on about the three-yard line when Bo Jackson of the, the Los Angeles Raiders is charging into the end zone. One of those was ready to meet that encounter head on and one was not. And little spoiler alert, Bo Jackson scores six points. We are not to be neutral. He's telling her that she's not to be neutral because this deep conviction of Mordecai, this deep conviction is when he says, he says, if you remain silent, relief is coming from somewhere. These are the children of the Lord. It's coming. But your next fill in here is Mordecai knows that God wins. He knows the providence of God, that it's going to save the Jewish people somewhere. But that providence, it's in the details and in the lives of individuals. He's telling Esther that this detail of your life, it matters. It seems insignificant to you, but you were put in a place such as time as this for that reason. And I keep coming back to that, to you. And I'm going to ask you, that's the last question I'm going to ask you about the position that you're in right now. The challenge that you're in is, is instead of pushing yourself out of the position, look down at your feet and see where God brought you. If he brought you here into this challenging situation, he's going to bring you out. He's going to bring you out of this adversity. So Mordecai, that reality check was to change her perspective. He couldn't change the circumstances, but he could change her perspective. He could remind her of what her true identity is. He could remind her of the capability that she has given the situation that God has placed her in. He changed her perspective, not her circumstances. If you follow along in the Everyman site, you saw a quote from this week, and it reads, I may not be able to change my circumstances, but I can change my perspective. I can't control what's going on, but I can control how I respond to it. So the rest of the story, after Mordecai speaks truth into Esther, this is her response. She says, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I will perish. If you can circle that phrase there, it says, I will go to the king. I will be willing to take the risk. This is the big challenge for her. She's getting ready to carry out this big ask. Perhaps you might be in one of those same situations. And when we look at what she's doing in this moment, she's preparing for the big ask. And your next fill in here says, in the big ask, don't be alone. Do not be alone. When you are alone, you are a target of the enemy. When you are surrounded by other brothers in Christ, you are protected. You are a strong fighting machine in the family of God. We are not called to be alone. Do not be alone. Even in those situations where you feel like you're as alone as you can be, reach out to your folks. Secondly, in the big ask, ask your people to rally. Ask your people to rally. You think about what she is asking everybody. She's saying, hey, I need you to go boldly before the throne of grace on my behalf. I need you to be inconvenienced for a little while. 
Are there people in your life that you can reach out to and say, hey man, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray so hard. I need you to be inconvenienced. In this case, she's asking them to fast for three days. I mean, what's that gonna look like? You reach out to your bros and be like, hey man, uh, I'm gonna need you to intermittently fast on my behalf for three days because I need you. Ask your people to rally. Far too frequently, we don't ask our people to rally because we don't want to inconvenience them. When in reality, they're waiting to rally for us. They're waiting to rally for us. Third, in the big ass, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is he's in control. He's the alpha, he's omega. He puts you in the place that you were at and prepped you for that situation. Regardless of the difficulty of the task, regardless of the, of the possibility of this outcome for Esther, the same thing is true for us. He is sovereign. He is so sovereign. We learned last week that, that, that everything comes from him. All things are from him and through him. And he is sovereign. The key is that phrase that you circled in Esther 4.16. I will go. Powerful words. Powerful words like this precede powerful actions. I'm reminded on 9-11, the phrase that we use, some, some of us have forgotten why we even say it. Let's roll. Let's roll. Let's act in spite of the challenges of what that action looks like. There, there are plenty of similar stories in the Bible where you saw these powerful words. In Isaiah 6-8, uh, there was another another. Similar type of situation. It's, it's the, my favorite phrase we ever heard from Isaiah. It says, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, and this is Isaiah, Here am I. Send me. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. I'm not smart enough. I'm scared. But send me. Those words, those powerful words from Esther that she said, I will go in spite of whatever the risk looks like. So the last challenge for you here, and I've been speaking directly into the people that are listening right now that are standing in a place that is uncomfortable, standing in a place of adversity, adversity that came out of nowhere. And what I want you to be encouraged by is God puts you in that place to see you through that place. Just like Mordecai, he didn't want her to be neutral. You know, I said earlier that adversity creates an opportunity for maturity. It's, it's not a guarantee. It's an opportunity. Because if you turn and run the other way from adversity, there's no growth in that. There's no growth in that. But you might be standing in that place. And I, I firmly believe that just like Esther had to go have a conversation with the king, that some of us, that adversity involves some type of conversation with somebody in our lives. And that conversation is going to be very complicated because just like Esther, we have to go and we have to take big risks in that conversation. We have to expose the person of who we really are and what our true identity is and the fear of what that looks like and lastly, is the need for us to go ask for mercy. So if that's you, I want this story today to comfort you and, and to bring you 
some sort of joy and some type of reminder that this tribulation in your life, this challenge, that you find a way to rejoice in that tribulation, because just like the Apostle Paul says, tribulation produces character, and character produces perseverance, and perseverance, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would bring us back to this highlight reel from the Old Testament, perhaps a story we haven't heard in a long time, that would see this person that is human, that is human, whose steps were directed by you, who finds himself in a situation and they think like other humans. They think and sit with selfish motivations. They, they forget the person that they are, Lord. I pray that today that this story, story remind us that yes, adversity comes, Lord, that we expect and we rejoice in that process to become refined, regardless of it being in the refiner's fire, and then we get to experience the sovereignty of God, that we not maintain a neutral position, that we take these challenging times and we face them head on as prescribed in the book of James. And for the men, for the people that are listening right now, I ask that they hear the words that perhaps you have been placed into the position that you are in for such a time as this. We thank you and we love you. Amen. Thanks. Have a great day and we'll see you again soon.